Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. There's a little indication of what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks today and the next three and lead us into Easter and then a week after Easter as well. Uh, looking at the story. So today's the story part one. Okay, so to start with, how many of you like to fly? How many of you don't like to fly? <laughs> I knew there, was, there would be some in the room who did not like to fly. And, and flying is kind of a cool experience. You know, you think about it, you, you, you get to get someplace that would normally take you a couple days in a couple hours. I mean, that's a pretty cool deal, right? I mean, you, once you get to cruising altitude and you're up in the air and you're, you're going at about 500 to 700 miles per hour as a commercial jet would go, you, you get places fast. There's a few other things you notice, and when you get up there, Eh, you're cruising at about, I don't know, between 30 and 40,000 feet generally. It's commercial airliners. The reason they go there, simple reason, the air is thinner. It's more fuel efficient at that point and less gravity and all those things. So fuel efficiency is really good. And sometimes if you're fortunate and you're flying from here to, say, the East Coast, you can catch a thing called a jet stream and then you get there really quick. This is kind of a great experience, right? And then fuel efficiency. It's, it's sort of like Kansas when you're driving north, right? Right? When you're driving north in Kansas, generally you have a tailwind and your fuel mileage goes up. There's some of you. There's some of you who drive your cars not looking at the speed limit or how fast you're going. You're looking at how fuel efficiently you're driving. Anybody? Anybody? In the room who, oh yeah, there are some. I know there are some who, who literally will tell you that they know what kind of Fuel efficiency they're currently getting on this tank of gas. No, I'm, I, I've been with people like that. Oh, man, I'm getting 37 to the gallon right now. Oh, it's going down to 34. You're like, what? Like, the speed limit is the more important thing. Because you're doing 50 and a 30, you know. <laughs> like, but the people driving like that wouldn't be doing that. They'd be the other way around. But anyway, one of the things you notice when you're flying is that everything seems to be flat, right? I mean, look, I brought a picture with me. It's a picture that we took probably on our flight to Florida a number of years ago. I think probably just a guess on my part, Janae, maybe have taken that picture. I don't know, just flying to Florida. As you, as you, you know, at the window of a plane and you look down at, you know, you're sitting there at 36,000 feet going 500, 700 miles per hour. You look down, everything seems to be really flat. You don't see all the things you see if you're driving. See, if you're driving, like that same trip, like that's on the Florida, and on that same trip to Florida, driving that thing takes you two days. You see a lot more driving. It takes a lot longer, but you see a lot more. So you're seeing kind of the, when you're flying over something, you kind of see the macro view. When you, when you drive through something, you see the micro view. And, and so when you, when you experience this, and, and that's sort of what we're going to do over the next few weeks with the Bible. We're going to give you kind of the macro view, about 36,000 feet. We're going to just kind of fly over. And we're kind of give you the story of God through the pages of the scriptures 
from 30,000 feet. The Bible is, and you, you know this, you, many of you know this, you, you know a lot of this information. The, the Bible is one book by one author, God, with one subject, Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible contains one overarching storyline. Beginning to end, the Bible reveals the fulfillment of God's kingdom and his plan to offer salvation through Jesus Christ. Now let's talk about how the Bible came into existence for just a moment. It started thousands of years ago, right? A few thousand years ago, somewhere between 1400 and 1500 B.C. So before Jesus, when God kind of, Moses is up on the mountain and he, he, he kind of, hand writes in stone Ten Commandments, right? And so we know it started before then, but that's kind of where God starts to put it written down for him. He starts there. And then he goes on from there, and God's beginning to speak his words. And then he gives Moses the inspiration to, to pen out the first five books of the Bible, essentially the Pentateuch, and it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And for probably thousands of years, whenever something was penned out like that, it was written not on paper, it was written on scrolls, animal skins from deer or cow or sheep or something. And it's interesting that if you take the entire first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and, and you had them all in one scroll, go to Torah scroll, it, if you unrolled that thing, it would probably roll out to about 150 feet. It's pretty, pretty amazing. But by approximately 500 B.C., the, the total of the 39 books that we know today as the Old Testament were completed and preserved in Hebrew on scrolls. The Bible is God's ultimate story, an epic narrative of his desire for a relationship with you. He, he wants that relationship with you, and, and so he, he has preserved his word to us for years in order for us to know him and for him to have a relationship with us. In, in this series, we will explore the Bible's grand story and discover how to get the most out of it in our lives. And in so doing, it's our prayer that, that you will be spurred into action to open your Bible. Speaking of opening your Bibles, if, if you're not reading along with us, start now because, because it's the first part of April. Start the April reading plan. If you don't use your smartphone for your Bible reading, then there's reading plans out on the counter at the Welcome Center, and they're there for the next three months. They're there on one piece of paper, and you can, can kind of follow along. But, but as you open your Bibles and begin to study and hide God's Word in your heart, and to grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to apply those truths into your life and the lives of all those you encounter. See, when you look at the Bible and you look at the beginning, we, we know the beginning is Genesis, and it, those are about the only places we can really be comfortable and know by reading straight through that we're going to have it in chronological order. The, the first five books, that's there. We're, we start there. And so the book of Genesis records the creation of the world and humankind and, and the, the corruption that comes and the Tower of Babel and the flood and all those things. So God sets his plan of redemption in motion with 
one man and his family. But as we get to that, we start with creation. Into the chaos, God says, let there be light. He brought order to everything, and then God rested. In the midst of creating, God made man and woman. And in Genesis 1, it says this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Look, we have Adam and Eve in the garden. And they're there. And honestly, they have very few rules to, to obey. They were to rule over everything else, all that God had created, with one rule that they couldn't break. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. You probably know how this ends. It doesn't end well. But isn't it just like us? Right? Isn't it just like us? And tell us something we cannot do, and we will see how close to the edge we can get to doing it. And we tend to want to do the very thing that we've been told not to do. We, we can't blame this all on Adam and Eve, right? We, we, we are right there with them. If it wasn't Adam and Eve, it, it would have been me. I mean, I, I would have probably messed it up just like Adam and Eve. And so we can't blame them. But in Adam and Eve's case, they could disobey and they did disobey. They were told that they wouldn't suffer consequences that God had told them they would. See, they were going to live forever and never experience death. But they believed the lie of the serpent. In Genesis 3, 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the fruit? The fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course may we, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit, ate it, and gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. This really is the beginning of a sad history of attempts by people to do the things that God commands them to do and man's inability to follow through. It's a constant theme throughout history. Once sin entered the world, chaos once again filled the earth. There are moments of peace, but chaos is always crouching at the door, waiting for the door to be opened. Everything in the garden was so good. And then life outside the garden was so tough. God was still with his people, but it was a more, much more difficult life. From that moment on, God was planning to provide forgiveness and redemption for man. 
The problem is that man kept messing it up. God made a commitment to Abraham. God, God makes a commitment to Abraham. Years later, God gives his man, Abram, comes along, and, and God makes a commitment to him. He's going to make him a great nation. And this is God's way of bringing his redemption plan to, to the people of the earth through a nation. Genesis 15 says, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, Oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own, and he who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, we don't have time to go into the, again, macro view. We're going to fly over, but, but when we think about, here's Abraham. He, Abraham gets this promise from God. He's going to become this nation, his descendants. He doesn't have any children at this point, and God is saying to him, look, I'm going to make you great, and you're going to have as many descendants as in the sky. You see those stars? You, Abraham's sitting there like, a moment ago, I was saying, what good are all your blessings? Now you're telling me I'm going to have a Descendants that number like the stars. Abraham's children gave him children, grandchildren, and goes on and, and eventually leads to Joseph. And Joseph ends up making his way back to Egypt. We know this, but, but through some crazy events, he ends up being sold into slavery, all those things. And Joseph ends up being promoted and, and, and saves his entire family. Now, when you think about that for just a moment, it's, it's again, once again, a picture of God's redeeming of mankind and preserving and protecting. Think about, for just a moment, Joseph, through crazy events, ends up through some bad stuff, some mean stuff, some brutal things, ends up saving his family. That's the picture of God wanting to save people. That's the picture of God sending his son later to, to save humanity, to, to redeem it, to, to pay the price for their sin. That is the picture of God. Over and over again, as we walk through the story of the scriptures, we, we look at each individual's story, we start to see God's provision in all of those pointing to the Savior. And, and then, you know, we get into Exodus and all that stuff, and you're thinking, this is going to be one long message. No, no, no. Like I said, macro view. We're just flying over. So Exodus tells the story of Abraham's extended family becoming a nation, enslaved in Egypt, and God raises up Moses to deliver the Hebrew people from bondage. The plagues and all that stuff... The people of Israel were given instructions in those moments, in, in the time when, when God is leading them out and they get the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai and all those things. They're given instructions. God gives instructions to Moses to, 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 in order for the nation to follow God and to understand what forgiveness means. They're making sacrifices to, to, to experience that as they look forward to the ultimate sacrifice. It was a very detailed system. 
And after wandering the desert, Moses has a successor named Joshua who guides the Hebrew people into the promised land. And it's, it's part of this promise. It was made all the way back to Abraham in Genesis 15. It says, after four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. And so Joshua's leading them back into this land for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. Look, when they get there, they're given instructions. Again, they forget what God has said to them. He gives them specific things to do, and they choose not to do them. They, they actually choose to do their own thing. They choose to, to do part of the job. And, and so they conquered some of the Canaanite inhabitants. But they kind of remain this, this organized tribe of people, often straying from the law. The people, they adopted some of the practices of the people in the land and the Canaanites, and, and they forget about God, and, and they continually do this. It's over and over again. It's a cycle that happens. God raises up a leader, and they were called judges at that point, and, and he res- they restore order, but once again, the people go their own way. I, I mean, we don't see any of ourselves in this. We don't see any of us in there, do we? We don't go our own way at times. We don't tend to forget about God. We, we tend to want to do our own. And there was a struggle here in this time, and there were wars being waged and against the tribes of Israel, and you know, we see people like Gideon raised up, one of the judges, and, and in the midst of it all, God is at work speaking to his people, even though large numbers of people are not yet following the commands given to Moses. Look, from the, from the sin of Adam and Eve all the way to, to King David, God was unveiling his plan for the salvation of man. All the way back, the original problem when sin entered the world, we saw in Genesis 3.15 that God said to the serpent, who was, this, was Satan, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. God gives a promise and says, look, I'm going to send a savior. God's promise to David was made in, in those kind of things as well. And so now we leap forward a ways, right? We leap forward a ways to, to David, and, and we recognize that God is doing something great. David had this thing where he started conquering people, and he, he found all the way back from Moses this, this Ark of the Covenant. It was God's presence, essentially. And what happens is David brings that Ark back to Jerusalem. He brings it to Jerusalem, and he, and he sets it up there, and he puts it within a tent, David recognizes something. David recognizes that he is living in a beautiful cedar home personally. It's like he's living in this great house, but he recognizes that God's presence, the, the tabernacle, the thing, the, the Ark of the Covenant, it, it's sitting there. It, it's sitting in a tent. And he wants to build a house for God's presence. And through Nathan and the prophet, all those things, it, it doesn't happen. But, but it's all kinds of different things. But... but God says to him in 2 Samuel 7, 16, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. This is early in David's reign. I mean, as king, not much later, David decides to do something crazy, right? David is chosen by God. He, he's been told that I'll be, you're going to be my guy. Like, like you're going to be, you're, you're my man, right? See, Saul, off the scene. David, you are, and he was chosen because he's a man after God's own heart. But then we see something. And we see something incredible about David. Is that David is, well, 
He's not perfect. Right after David does this and God makes a promise that your throne will be secure forever, David does something not so smart. David, in the time when normally kings would go off the war, which is kind of a weird statement, right? Like when it's springtime and kings go off to war, which is what the scriptures say, David stays home and he commits adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of one of his mighty men. And David is not perfect, but God had selected him and he works with him. Even in the original promise about the kingdom never leaving David's family, God spoke these words. 2 Samuel 7, 14, just two verses prior to the promise at the throne. I will be his father, speaking of David, and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, who I removed from your sight. So here David, long before he committed the sin, God knew he would correct him. God would discipline him just like any father would. And so David commits a sin that would cause him great heartache. And the same is true for us today. We, we tend to go our own way, and sometimes in our sin, we cause heartache. Proverbs teaches us this. In Proverbs 3.11, it says, My child, don't, re don't reject the Lord's discipline, and don't, don't be upset when he corrects you, for the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. It was repeated in Hebrews chapter 12, I think verse 6, but, but we see the same thing. So God corrects those he loves. We also know this about David, spoken in the judgment of Saul. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord sought out a man after his own heart. See, God was seeking out somebody who would be, 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 be true to God, who would follow God, who would want to be a person who God could work through. And so David, even with his flaws, was a man after God's own heart. He loved God and wanted to follow God's plan for his life. David was a worshiper. David loved God, but he was flawed. All the stories from Let There Be Light to David speak of the coming of Jesus. Every story must be read with the understanding that God loves people and is sending the answer to the sin problem into the world. No matter where we have gone, what we have done, God is willing to forgive us and give us a future and a hope. In reading the Bible, my encouragement to you is to read it and to see the overall theme of God's kingdom coming in the lives of the people on the earth. Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God being at hand. Right? The reality is that the Bible is all about God's kingdom and his love being established in the lives of people. The story of God is the story of redemption of people. Now, when we, you know, one of the things that I like at certain times of the year, well, I actually don't like it, but it's a cool look, okay? So that, that's a weird statement, isn't it? Okay, I drive often in the mornings early to the east. There's some days driving across some roads out by where I live, like 47th Street or or 53rd, 
as I drive through there, coming through some of those hills, you drive along and the sun is directly in your eyes. On some days, when there's clouds in the sky and that sun is just bursting through there, it reminds me of one thing. It reminds me of looking east and expecting Jesus to come. It's in those mornings where you drive that moment, when you drive along that line, when you remember just as we did today with communion, when you think back and you go, we're celebrating communion. We are celebrating the Lord's death until he comes again. The book of Revelation, as we t I talked about earlier, ends with that thought. Even so, come Lord Jesus. When you're driving on the easterly direction and you see that sun shining, it's thinking of the time when Jesus is coming. And the story of God is the redemption of people. It's the forgiveness of people. Look, we're looking forward to a day that's coming, right? We look forward to the day of Jesus returning. But you know what? I actually think that this is preparation for a day that's coming. It's called Easter. Easter is coming. We ought to walk towards Easter with an expectation. We ought to walk towards Easter with, a, with, with an understanding that Easter is so meaningful to us as followers of Jesus. And we want it to be meaningful to friends that we know. That they would experience what it means to be a follower of Christ. Not, not just to have an awareness of who Jesus is, but to actually know him and respond to his love and his grace. The story of Jesus is all about that. The story of the Bible is all about the redemption of mankind. It's all about the redemption of people like you and me. Flawed as we are, just like it is about all the stories we see in the scriptures. We, we get down and read some close ones and we read the, the stories of David and we read those stories closely. We, we get into the macro view of every story and you begin to look and recognize that story ties to the overarching theme of Jesus coming to save the people from their sins. As we look towards Easter, we look to celebrate all that God has done for us and all people that are willing to trust in him. Jesus is the central theme of the story of God. He's the central theme of everything that we see within the pages of the scriptures. And as we look forward towards Easter, as we look forward as we study the stories of the scriptures, it ought to point us towards Easter. It ought to point us towards the story of Christ, his life that was lived to bring salvation to mankind. Look, you heard Angela talking about friends that we're trying to impact. It's all about their stories being written. It's all about our stories impacting their lives in order for them to be writing their story with Jesus as the center point of it. See, that's what makes Easter powerful. It's not that we just celebrate Easter. It's that we celebrate a risen Savior. 
And look, one of the reasons why we're doing the thing with Good Friday is because without Good Friday, there is no Easter. There has to be a death in order for there to be a resurrection. There has to be a death in order for there to be forgiveness of sin. But the forgiveness of sin doesn't happen if there's no resurrection. See, that's the power of Jesus. He did everything he needed to do in order for our stories to have a great ending. Otherwise, our stories will be a tragedy. But now our stories have hope because of Christ. Because the story of the scriptures point to Jesus and it points to salvation for you and for me. So the challenge is, will you let his story impact your story to accomplish a great story? The story of God at work in each of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for your word. And Lord, I pray that as we walk through these moments and as we we walk through moments of looking at your word, and Lord, as we read your word, help us to recognize even in the stuff that we don't quite grasp, even in the stuff that we don't understand, Lord, that we will trust you that there is everything of what's going on is pointing towards Jesus. Lord, would you help us to recognize your hand at work in our lives, in our stories, Lord, that we will talk about the story of Jesus. Lord, I pray for those that are going to be invited to one of our campuses on Easter Sunday. Lord, I pray that there'd be many who would come to faith that day. Lord, I pray there'd be people who would respond to your love and grace. Lord, I pray that there'd be people who respond to our invitations. God, as we invite people to hear the story of Jesus, there'll be people who respond and say, I'll come. Lord, when they step onto one of our campuses, God, that they would hear the message of Christ and they'd respond. Holy Spirit work in their lives give them faith to do as Abraham did to believe God to believe in Jesus and it would be credited to them as righteousness Lord thank you for dying on a cross that we can have life that we actually have stories matter that our stories can impact other people and help them write a great story all because of Jesus Lord I pray that you would have your way in these closing moments of this time God would you speak and would you do what you want to do in the lives of your people God I pray for anybody in this room today that isn't a follower never made a commitment to follow you Lord I pray that you'd speak into their lives and they would simply pray a prayer and would say Lord I want to follow you I believe I want you to impact my story God speak in these moments God do what you want to do in Jesus name